Hey there! This is the Evolutions Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that our message makes your week a bit more awesome. See you in church! Let's get into today's message, alright? I want to look at Genesis chapter 3 in the Bible this afternoon. And I'm going to try to present a somewhat kind of a actually a really lofty idea, if you will, okay, for this first service. But I promise you at the end of it, it'll at least be an interesting experience, okay? So, so Genesis chapter 3, um, even if you are new, I think you will know this story. Even if you're not a Christian, you will know this story because it's the story of Adam and Eve. Or as Christians, we know it, the story of the fall of humankind. But just in case you don't, okay, a quick context for everyone here. We're right now in Genesis, which is the first book of 66 books that make up our Bible. And the first three chapters of the Bible, the story is pretty intense, okay? In chapter 1 of Genesis, God creates the universe, the earth, and human beings in His image. In chapter 2, He brings human beings to this garden of Eden called paradise and says, you can eat anything you want in this garden. Yeah, it's Christmas. Anything you want in this garden except the fruit of one tree in the middle of this awesome garden. That's like putting koi bubble tea in the middle of Christmas dinner for me, okay? And then we come to chapter 3, which is the subject of my, pa- uh, of my message today. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, just a portion for you. It says there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. The snake was the most intelligent of all wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say that you shouldn't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, we may eat the fruit of the garden's trees, but not the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. God said, do not eat from it, do not touch it, or you will die. The snake said to the woman, you won't die. God knows that on the day you eat from it, you will clearly, you will see clearly and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Will you say to me, knowing good and evil? Okay, so without even reading the rest of the chapter, you probably can guess the ending of this story, right? Adam and Eve, of course, eat the fruit that they're not supposed to eat. They commit what conservative Christianity likes to call the first sin against God. And by doing so, humankind's innocence is lost. Evil is allowed to dominate human nature and the world. And as punishment, God expels humans from the paradise He created for them. He cuts them off from His presence. Now, obviously, this wasn't an actual event, okay? It's a story that Jews have passed down from generation to generation to explain the relationship we human beings have with God and to express the nature of brokenness in the human condition. So why am I preaching from this passage today? Well, this afternoon, the title of my message is, Who is God Really? Now, I've been spending a lot of time lately reflecting on this question. Uh, Maybe it's because, as we shared with you, our church has been having conversations about empathy and inclusion versus exclusion. You know, maybe it's because the past two years, the world has gone a little bit mad. And Christians have become quite prominent players in a lot of that manners. Amen. 
So it's really making me ask myself the question, who is God really? And, and so instead of the usual human being sin and evil entered the world interpretation of Genesis chapter 3, I want to take a different approach today. Is that all right? And I want to talk about how human beings, we have this negative instinct to fixate on what is good and what is evil. Now, let me explain. When I was somewhere in my early to mid-twenties, I took some of our youth, then youth, now adult leaders in our church, to an exhibition about the Bible. It was a really big exhibition, you know, about the Bible's history, archaeology, how it was compiled, how it was translated, all that sort of thing, okay? We're Christians, so it's important to be curious about our history. So this was supposed to be a really fun trip. But unexpectedly, something rather jarring happened to us at that outing. And that was, we were walking around, enjoying ourselves, you know, hey guys, look at this, pastor, look at this. And suddenly, in the middle of our excursion, this guy, a stranger whom we didn't know, he was white, and from his accent, he definitely was not local. He suddenly says to me, excuse me, are they calling you pastor? Now, I should again explain, right? At the time, this was 10 years ago, there were hardly any female pastors in Singapore. In most denominations, Christian denominations, or even the Catholic Church, it wasn't allowed. Much less young, under 25 female pastors. Not that it has changed much ever since then. But so this man that we ran into was not happy when he heard youth and young adults calling me by the title pastor. And he proceeds to publicly argue with me at the exhibition, you know, this is wrong. Women are not allowed to be pastors. The Bible says women are not allowed to lead or even speak in church. And one of the passages he cites to me is Genesis chapter 3. And he starts to rant off going, it was woman who caused the downfall of men and subsequently all of humankind. If not for Eve, Adam would have never sinned against God. Evil would have never entered the world. Oh, that's a lot to live up to. (laughs) At 22, 23 years old, you can imagine, right? I was 22, 23 years old, okay? I was horrified and just really embarrassed. And this guy got loud enough that people around in the exhibition were turning to stare at us. But not a single Christian in that room and there were hundreds of them that day, came to my rescue. So finally, in embarrassment, I just went, I don't want to get into this with you. We disagree. I turned and quickly got out of there, you know, tail between my legs. Now, don't worry. I turned out fine, as you can see. (laughs) I'm a lot older now, a lot more self-assured. I have experience, and now I have a master's in theology. I sort of kind of want to meet him again and have a rematch. But... That incident showed me something, okay? And that is how caught up we human beings can be when it comes to defining and having control over what is good and what is evil. Now, let me be clear. I can't say for certain that this is what uh, Jewish storytellers were intending to point out when they crafted the story of Adam and Eve and the fall. You know, when they thought out the metaphor of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But one possible alternative interpretation, my interpretation, is that at the heart of a lot of human conflict 
is this obsession we all tend to have with trying to decide what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong. And the reason we do that is because it's also the power to decide who is right and who is wrong. Who is in and who is out. Who is included and who is excluded. And this instinct can become even more weaponized when it's in the hands of religious people. Because religion deals with human salvation. We deal with concepts of the afterlife of heaven and hell. You see, what that guy was trying to say to me that day, whether he was conscious of it or not, was that I am right and you are wrong. I am right just by being male and you are wrong just by being female. I belong in Christian community and in leadership, but you do not. I have the right to be internally in heaven with God, but you can't. In the name of God and in the name of what he thought, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3. So I find that human beings are pretty funny. We can get so fixated on particular ideas, and in this case, the dichotomy of good and evil, that even when it comes, you know, even when it comes to the expense of God's at the expense of God's character. So the first thought I want to communicate with you this Christmas is: God is not just about good and evil. He's not just about what's right and what's wrong. He's not just about what's better and what's best. Who's in and who's out. In fact, I would argue that that isn't God at all, but more like a broken human-made ideology. You know, you know, that God, you know, it's a human idea that all God is, is He is limited to good and evil, right and wrong. So I have found over the course of my life that too many wrong attitudes, actions, and behaviors have been committed in the name of good and evil. You know, if you think about it very carefully today with me, every atrocity and discrimination in human history has revolved around someone defining what is good and what is evil and enforcing who is in and who is out. Now, does that mean, however, that the concept of good and evil is completely irrelevant to our lives? Of course not, right? Right and wrong is necessary so that you and I can have rules of morality. So that there is a common code and language to treating each other with dignity and respect. I mean, can you imagine today, right, if Singapore had no laws at all? Arguably, we already have too many laws. But, but can you imagine with me if we had zero laws? Now, we would like to think that we're all innately good, but without rules, without checks and balances, without accountability and consequences, all of us are capable of bad behavior. But as far as what is right and wrong for Christians is concerned, the God that I read about in my Bible you know, I have found that at heart, he is pretty simple and pretty essential. And that is we human beings who complicate things when it comes to God and religion. Are you here with me? So let me explain, right? God started in Genesis with just one prohibition. Do not eat from this one tree. You can do everything else, just don't go near this one tree. And what the human beings do? We eat from the one tree. 
And why do we eat from that one tree? Because we want to have the power to define what is good and what is evil. Now, further down in the Old Testament, God gives people the Ten Commandments. Just ten. Are you hearing me? But we humans proceed to write a book, one book of 27 chapters of laws. And another follow-up book of 34 chapters of blessing and curses, benefits and consequences if we obey or disobey those laws. Right? Now, do you know in the history of the Christian faith, by the time you get to the time of Jesus Christ, there are so many supplemental books of rules and interpretation of rules on top of Scripture that people have to go to school to study them for six to eight years. So those religious leaders who would go to these schools to study would, the Bible says, constantly argue with Jesus Christ about those rules. You know, in fact, there were so many rules created by the leaders that the Bible records that the common man, the Jew, is overwhelmed and confused by what rules they're supposed to obey to be right with God. Pretty good painting, right? So, but thank God, right, Jesus comes, shows up during this time in culture, and he begins to subvert their ideas. So the religious leaders of Jesus at that time, they keep coming to him and pressuring him, Jesus, come on, define for us what is good and evil. Come on, Jesus, be explicit what is good and evil. Which rule can we use to punish evil people, and which rules in Scripture do we need to follow in order to get into heaven? And Jesus goes, Yo, guys, 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 you're overcomplicating this whole thing. And he says to them, all the laws and all the stories in the Bible and in history and scripture point to only two things. Love God and love your neighbor. Wow, what an answer, right? In fact, the Bible records that people were astounded by this answer and probably dumbstruck for a moment. But of course, one idiot in the crowd, after the silence, you know, goes, but Jesus, define, define, who is my neighbor? <laughs> so the whole situation is too simple for all the religious leaders and scholars to comprehend. And they are up in arms and upset and they go, how dare you? How can you reduce 8,000 years of history and tradition into two sentences? And so Jesus, being a kind and generous person, he decides to rephrase and, and uh, elaborate on what he means, putting it in a way that people could understand him. And I want to show you what he says to them, okay, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. He says, don't even begin to think that I have come to do away with the law and the prophets. I haven't come, away, uh, come to do away with them, but to fulfill them. I say to you very seriously that as long as heaven and earth exist, neither the smallest letter nor the smallest stroke of a pen will be erased from the law until everything becomes a reality. Therefore, whoever ignores one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called lowest in the kingdom of heaven. So immediately they're all feeling better, right? But whoever keeps these commands and teaches people to do them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But here's the caveat. He goes on to say, so all the religious leaders are very happy, right? But then verse 20, he says, But I say to you, unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of these legal experts and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. 
Now, what does Jesus do next? Jesus goes on to call out key commands from Scripture. He starts with, do not murder. And he says, you've heard it said, do not murder. Actually, I always read that and wonder, you know, it's quite funny. Why did he say, you have heard it said and not it is written? But he says it said, you have heard, do not commit murder. But guys, let me tell you the point of this command. Jesus says, the point is don't be hateful or angry or vengeful as a person in your heart because that will lead to violence and murder. And he goes on to the next one. He calls out, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. And Jesus goes, but the real point of that law is to stop lusting after others. Because entertaining that lust leads to all kinds of disrespect, sexual harassment and assault. Then he says, you've heard it said, don't make vows. But the point is, be someone whose words are trustworthy. Your yes is yes and your no is no. You don't need to swear or promise you are going to do something. Just be a person of your word. And he goes on and on and on a few more laws before he wraps up with this statement. He says, Matthew 5 verse 45, Act as children of your Father who is in heaven. He makes the sun rise on both the evil and the good and sends rain on both the righteous and unrighteous. Just as your heavenly Father is complete in showing love to everyone, so also you must be complete. So what Jesus was saying to them was this, that there is a deeper point, guys, that you are missing about God. God is not just about rules of good and evil. God is goodness itself. Now, what's the difference? You see, good refers to better or best. Having admirable, pleasing, superior or positive qualities, not negative, bad or mediocre. So what does this tell me? Good tends to be comparative. You're always going to be pitching yourself against something or someone else in order to be considered good. Goodness, however, is very different. This is how goodness is defined. It is the quality of being morally good or virtuous in your nature. So God's very nature, who He is, and who He is asking all of us to be is not a people of good and evil, but a people of goodness. The point of the Jewish and Christian law is not good or evil or right and wrong. The point of moral rules is to point you to becoming more like God, to have the quality of goodness in who you are. So it's pretty interesting we go back to the book of Genesis again and this time to chapter 1, okay? Because when God finishes creating the world, the planets, the stars, the land, the sea, the plants and animals, Genesis says God saw how good the world was. And then when God created human beings, you know what Genesis says? It says God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. And God saw everything He had made. And it was supremely good. So you've got to understand this 
thing. Goodness is always superior because goodness always naturally creates what is good. You don't have to define good or evil. If there is goodness, it will produce good. If there is goodness in your life, you will produce good. But here's another thought. Is that all right? Because you and me are created by a God who is essentially goodness, and He made us in His image to be like Him, human beings are actually innately good, not bad. And just so you know, this isn't me philosophizing in my own head, okay? I went online again to do some research, and I found this clip that is going to help me make my argument about this a little bit, all right? And it's from BBC, and it's about whether babies can naturally distinguish between what is good and what is evil. Okay, are you ready to watch this? One, two, three, let's roll video. So we're looking at whether babies are making decisions about what is good and bad behavior. And as adults, we make these sorts of decisions all the time, but we think of it as something that we have to teach children. And what we want to look at today is whether actually babies, before they've really had a chance to be taught this, are already making these decisions. All the babies taking part are just 12 months or younger. <laughs> and these babies are super young. It's much earlier than we'd expect them to be thinking in these ways. Hiya. Yeah. First to watch the show is Josh. And if you could hold Josh so that he's looking at the puppet show. The show features both good guys and villains. The red circle puppet attempts to climb the hill. But the nasty blue square pushes it down. And then the helpful yellow triangle helps the red circle up the hill. Once the show's over, Josh has a decision to make. Will he choose the good puppet or the bad puppet? Hello. Josh. Would you like to choose one? Which one? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well done, little guy. Next to choose is 12-month-old Fawzi. Yeah. How about Sunny? Very good. <laughs> so far, they've all chosen the good puppet, seeming to make quite sophisticated decisions about what kind of behavior they prefer. There's no sound, there's no story being told. And yet even with children this young, with babies, you know, before they're talking, they're already making judgments about what's good and bad behaviour. Yeah, <laughs> I was amazed actually that he went straight for that one and it was a very clear decision. <gasps> he obviously knows what's right and wrong. <laughs> <laughs> to be able to glimpse this decision-making in babies as young as 10 months is incredible. Would you like to choose one? But we're going to push it even further, testing babies who are just seven months old. This is Beatrice. Hello. Will Beatrice be able to tell good from bad? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 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 Hello. 
choose one. Do you want to pick one? Annie? Oh, oh. oh my god, oh, good girl. Oh, okay. Straight in the mouth. How does that taste? <laughs> Is that good? <laughs> she did it. I know, and totally like right in there. She knew exactly which one she wanted. It's amazing that a baby that young can tell the difference. Mm. These babies are so young, they're so much younger that you don't expect them to know the difference between right and wrong if yeah. they had to learn it by being taught by their parents. So it's knowing right and wrong is an eight? It's either an eight or very, very Develop early very developing. Early. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow, okay, give the babies a big hand. <laughs> yeah, this is the way to win you over during preaching. Just show you babies or puppies or kittens and we'll be all good, right? Okay, so, so BBC might have just debunked any school of thought over many years that presumes human beings are innately evil and selfish. Because listen, over and over again, right, recent studies have shown that babies are naturally inclined to prefer altruistic and selfless behaviour. In 2017, Kyoto University in Japan did a similar study, this time with babies as young as six months old, and they got the same results. At Harvard, they did a study where infants didn't know they were being observed on camera, and they found children overwhelmingly acted kind and were helpful to others, uh, even without any surveillance, suggesting that goodness isn't just a learned behavior to avoid punishment or scrutiny, but it's something that is innate to human beings. So, I think this will continue to be debated and more studies will come out, but the more recent evidence seems to be that there is an innate thing about humans that makes us good. Whether you believe that it is because God made us in His image, or that it's the result of evolution over millions of years, it is more likely that we are born with a natural goodness on the inside, and that it's actually nurture and environment and circumstances that cause us to go the other way. Now, how do you here know the novel, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? You don't have to have read it. I haven't read it, okay? But in summary, Dr. Jekyll is a scientist who invents a drug that creates within him this dichotomy of good and evil. When he is himself, Dr. Jekyll is good. When he takes a drug, he turns into Mr. Hyde doing evil and immoral things. Now, you know, one of the things I've always wondered about is this. Why do good people do bad things? You know, what's in the Dr. Jekyll juice? What creates that line in our lives that causes us to cross over into bad stuff? Can I suggest today to you that one version of that juice is a desire to have a say over what is right and what is wrong. The desire to have power over who is in and who is out. You know, I sometimes wonder to myself if that, is, that was actually humankind's first original sin. Not just pride or disobeying God and eating, you know, the fruit that we weren't supposed to eat, but that desire... To, to, to determine good and evil. You know, from that one sin, so many problems in humankind occur. You know, racism, sexism, nationalism, fundamentalism. You know, we are right and you are wrong. You, we are in and you are out. And it just seems to me that God might be saying to our generation, to Christians, stop being just about rules and definitions of good and evil. 
Instead, just be goodness. You know, like how I, your God, am goodness. Right, let me read for you one more time what Jesus said. He said, act as children of your Father who is in heaven. He makes the sun rise on both the evil and good and sends rain on both the righteous and unrighteous. Just as your heavenly Father is complete in showing love to everyone, so you also must be complete. So what is Jesus really saying? He's saying, hey, be goodness. Be respect. Be faithful. Be gracious. Be forgiveness towards others, whether they've been good or evil, righteous or unrighteous or indifferent towards you. Do it because your God, your Father, your Creator is goodness. And he's also saying in this verse, also be love because God is love. You know, God is love. Now, let me explain to you the difference. Goodness is our quality, our nature. It is the anchor, the source, the attitude. But love is our actions. It is the extension of ourselves towards people and towards the world. And here's why I say being hung up over good and evil is so damaging, okay? Because when we are hung up over what is good and what is evil, right or wrong, better or best, we always limit goodness. Because everything becomes confined to the rules. And what is even more damaging about good and evil is that it also makes love rigid and conditional. Because it becomes, if you do this right, then I will love you and accept you. If you do this wrong, according to my definition wrong, I will exclude you and reject you. But God's love here here described by Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 isn't rigid or conditional. He says, as children of your Father who is in heaven, He makes the sun rise on both the evil and the good. He sends rain on both the righteous and unrighteous. So just as your Father is complete in showing love to everyone, whether you perceive them to be good or bad, in or out, so you also must be complete and act like your Father in heaven. So as much as it is our nature to be good, we also each have this contrary instinct to define and to dichotomize. But God says, hey, don't do it. Because I extend love to both the righteous and unrighteous, whoever you think is evil or not evil. However you are defining them, I shine my love to everyone. And you must do the same. You see, let me push this a little bit deeper, is that okay? You know, Nobel Literature Laureate John, uh, George Bernard Shaw, he's a great playwright, great writer. He, he once said this, he said, what a man is depends on his character. But what he does and what we think of what he does depends on his circumstances. Now, here's the reason why we shouldn't ever let rules for good and evil replace goodness and love, Okay. The reason is, no matter how well-intentioned you and me are, we are simply incapable of being accurate with our definitions. Because it changes with our bias. It changes because of our perceptions of situations. Let me elaborate, okay? 
So I had the privilege of going on a, a mission trip earlier this year to Mozambique, Africa, and this was in June. Myself and another leader, uh, our young adults leader, Regina, were there on a trip to see how we could partner with uh, church and humanitarian organization over there. So now one of the things we got to do, which I can't show you on screen because we weren't allowed to take photos, was that we got to go into uh, 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 the main prison in one of the towns to minister to the people in jail over there. Now again, we don't have a photo because we weren't allowed to take photos inside. But it was basically about, uh, it was a really tiny room and we ministered to about a hundred men and a handful of women, okay? Now, what surprised me when I walked into that jail that day was some of the people in that jail were as young as 14, 15 years old. Now, I'm a youth and young adults pastor, right? And so I see kids and I see youth and the first thing I want to know is what happened for them to get to where they were. Now, when you first go to a place like Mozambique, which is a third world country, you always go with all kinds of perceptions. Some are your own, some are learned from what others have said to you about people. But, but let me give you two common ideas that most people take with them to, to a poor country, okay? The first is, people tend to have this idea, poor people are unemployed because they are lazy. And yes, in Mozambique, you will see hundreds and hundreds of youth every day when you drive through the streets, aimlessly roaming the streets. And when you see youth in prison, you know what's the first thought that comes to your mind? People who have said to you, they steal because they don't want to work hard at getting a proper job. Right? But listen, when you are there with them, in their circumstances, you will quickly realize that a lot of these youth are roaming around doing nothing because there are no jobs. And they are in jail, not because they wanted to steal, but because they needed to survive. And suddenly, your perspective shifts. And suddenly, you realize that your current ideas of right and wrong are just wrong. Or at very least, they need to shift drastically. And your supposed conditions for love, for you to accept somebody, to make them the subject of your warmth and affection, it becomes clear that your conditions for love are too rigid. So coming back to the title of my message today, who is God really? You know, and my answer to every one of you seated here is that we need to let go of that picture of God as good and evil, right or wrong, better or best. And today, we need to first understand that God is goodness and God is love. And why is it important for us to know this about God? Because it also tells us who we are as human beings and what we are called to do with our lives and our future. So can I push this deeper some more? But, but listen, becoming goodness and love in our lives becomes easier when we are in relationship with goodness and love Himself. That is God. You know, everyone knows the famous mural by Michelangelo in the 16th Chapel. Uh, this painting over here behind me, it was meant to, to be about the consequences of sin and the fall of human beings. It was supposed to be about what happened in Genesis chapter 3. 
that the most dire consequence of our sin, punishment of our sin, is that we have now each become separated from God. And that is why no matter how close human beings are to God, their fingers never touch. Are you here with me? You see, man is always trying to reach God, but we're always so near yet so far. And that is the consequence of human beings preferring to rely on our own definitions of good and evil. God said, hey, 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 Adam and Eve, don't touch that one. Leave that one to me. Just rely on my goodness and love. But no, we we, we want to define what's right and wrong. We want to define who's in and who's out. Versus walking in relationship with a God who is good and a God who is love. So friends, today I want to encourage you on the first service of Christmas, would you get a new vision of God and Christianity, whoever you are. Whatever ideas you walked into church with today, I want you to know that we believe, I believe that God created you for goodness and love. And that He wants to unlock that potential within every single one of us to live great, purposeful, meaningful lives. Now, now sometimes that potential, as you are seated here today, may have gotten drowned out by your bad experiences, difficult circumstances, by misconceptions about who you thought God and Christians are all about. But I want to encourage you today, will you be open to Jesus Christ? Will you be open to God? Be open to the Jesus who came to earth and one of the things He did was to redefine culture and to redefine good and evil and to redefine goodness and love. You know, our church recently just adopted the name The Evolution. If it's your first time here, you're like, what? Yeah, we only have this name for two months, okay? But we recently took on this name and I love the name because... Our church family chose it together over the course of one year. I love it because it expresses our commitment here in this church to be a community of people who doesn't get hung up on the wrong things, but wants to keep walking with God, keep walking in goodness and love. But I also love the word evolution because what it means in Charles Darwin's definition of evolution is generally he means when something evolves, it, it breeds out what is weak. It retains what is strong and has longevity and passes it on. Right? That is evolution, correct? And, and that's what I think happens when we come into a connection with Jesus and a connection with God. When we are in relationship with Him, He brings out, He brings to the front He he brings to dominance in our life all that is goodness in our DNA. He grows it. He reinforces it. He encourages it. And as we go along, He helps us to shed the parts of ourselves that aren't goodness and love. He he challenges it. He speaks to us. He talks to us. He he, he pushes us. Are you here with me? He, He works to change us from the inside out to deepen that goodness and to extend that love. So everyone, will you say with me here today, God is goodness and love? And say, He has called me to a life of goodness and love. Do you learn something interesting today? All right, will you stand to your feet with me?